Welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee. And today we have a really special guest on. We can't wait to introduce her here shortly. But before we do that, we thought we would read a review. This one was on our Facebook page. We had a very nice listener named Cindy send, uh, write us this review. And she says she gave us five stars. Thank you, Cindy. She said, I truly appreciate the commitment and dedication Crystal and Renee have to the Missy Beavers case. They have shown time and time again that they are here for however long it takes to see justice for Missy is served. Their podcast and information being shared are so valuable to ensure her name and murder are well publicized and kept known and that it's not and that it's not been solved and that any help from the public is needed to possibly obtain key and credible information that can or may lead to an arrest. Cindy, thank you so much. That's why we do what we do. And we've started, as you guys probably are aware, we've started covering other cases because the Missy Beavers case went quiet a few years ago. No new news on it, but we're here for it whenever there is some news and we'll be the first ones to report it. And um, Renee? I just wanted to remind everybody that we have been doing the in-person meetings to talk about the case. Uh, We've done them in the past at the Tacos for Life. This particular time, it's going to be at the Parks and Recreation. What town is that going to be in? Waxahachie. And it's just a new location, but I think everybody's really going to like it. It's nice. It's roomy. Plenty of room. So if y'all would like to come to that, I do have an event on our True Crime Broads page. Excellent. That's awesome. One of these days I'll have to get down there for that, but I'm up having my hectic life an hour north of you guys. So, (laughs) so anyway, Hey, we can't wait to get started. We have coming up after the break, we have Lindy Beatty and she has a fantastic background. She's going to tell us about, and she's running for Ellis County district attorney. Yeah, we can't wait. Thanks for joining us on true crime broads. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Broads. We would also love to see you on our social media. We have an Instagram page called True Crime Broads. We also have a Facebook page called True Crime Broads. And then we also have a group which is called True Crime Broads, Missy Beaver's Case Discussion Group. And if you can, please uh, leave us a five-star review. We are needing some new ones. Yes, you can leave five stars on Spotify if you think we deserve it. And also on Apple, you can also leave five stars and leave a written review if you'd like to. So thanks again for listening to True Crime Broads. Welcome back to True Crime Broads. We're so excited today. We have Lindy Beatty here, who is running for District Attorney of Ellis County. Yeah, we are so excited to have Lindy here with us today. Lindy, introduce yourself and tell everybody um, who you are and what you are planning on doing. Yes. So, uh, again, my name is Lindy Beatty. I'm currently a partner in the law firm of Beatty and Sipes Law in Waxahachie, New Criminal Defense. I've been doing that since uh, 2019. But before that, I was prosecutor at the Ellis County uh, District Attorney's Office from 2004 to 2019. Uh, When I left, I was the chief felony prosecutor. Um, So I was at the DA's office um, at the time of uh, Missy Beaver's uh, murder. Uh, And so that's always just been an interesting case for us, especially since it's still unsolved. 
Um, and so I'm hoping that it will be solved soon. I do believe that it will be at some point, um, but I hope to be there for that and hopefully be part of the prosecution team when she eventually gets some justice. Oh, man, we can't wait. That would be wonderful. Yes. <laughs> um, now tell us um, how you can make a difference in, in a case like the Missy Beavers case. So generally, you know, the district attorney's office, the investigators there, they're not going to go out and investigate a crime. The DA's office is not going to take over a case. Um, but what the DA's office can do is provide uh, additional assistance uh, to a law enforcement agency if they request request it. Again, we don't step on anybody's toes. Law enforcement generally doesn't like that, obviously. Right. You know, and they put a, a lot of hard work into the case. But sometimes just having a set of fresh eyes and ears um, can really make a difference uh, in a case. Uh, we did have some investigators, you know, years ago. Uh, that were trying to assist uh, in a murder that happened in Ferris uh, many years ago, which I still believe is unsolved. Um, but, you know, it was helpful to just get a, a new set of eyes and ears on the case, maybe reinvestigate, uh, re-interview people, uh, because depending on, you know, everybody's got different interview techniques, things like that. Um, and as time passes, maybe sometimes witnesses do remember something else that they didn't mention back in the heat of the moment or when all emotion was going on. So sometimes it's beneficial to go back and sort of redo everything again, and maybe you, you pick up on something that you missed. And so the DA's office certainly could provide some assistance in that area um, if, if it's requested. Um, and I think that, that might be beneficial to them uh, to help them in any way that we can. I, I don't know the answer to this question, but have Midlothian police been working with the district attorney's office on this case, or are they just doing this by themselves and they'll go to the DA later when they have more? Or I really don't know how that works in Ellis County. Um, what do you think that, um, what role do you think the district attorney's office should play in a complex murder case? Not even necessarily Missy's case, but just more generally speaking, if you kind of feel like maybe the police are um, struggling with it after a certain number of years. What, how does the DA step in and help if, and you know, I guess also you have to make sure the police want help, right? Right, sure. So in, with any law enforcement agency, you know, they have to request the assistance of any other agency to help them because they, you know, that agency has jurisdiction. So Midlothian would have to request the assistance of additional agencies. I know that they did do that. Uh, when this happened, um, when I was at the DA's office, I did go down to Midlothian Police Department um, early on. I wouldn't say it was the day of or anything like that, but maybe a few days into it. So I do know that there was uh, a lot of other agencies that were coming in to assist in any way that they can. I guess fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Midlothian, you know, at the time, and even still, it, it's a fairly small department compared to something like Dallas or any of these other huge agencies and so their resources may be limited, you know, because Midlothian is a fairly considered a fairly safe um, city. Uh, there weren't a lot of murders that happened. And like, again, like Dallas, where there's murders almost every day, you know. Uh, so those investigators didn't have a, a ton of experience in it, uh, but they were looking for outside help to assist them um, to get certain things like, you know, they didn't have a big crime scene investigative team. Again, like maybe the Texas Rangers would have access to, or even a DPD would have access to. So they had to call on a bunch of other agencies to kind of help them uh, in some aspects, but yeah, they would have to reach out uh, for help 
uh, from any other agency if they wanted it. Most of the time, the DA's office is there to assist with things like search warrants, right? If they want to draft a search warrant, uh, those have to be pretty specific in, in what they're asking for, and there has to be probable cause in the affidavits, things like that. So a lot of the times the DA's office can assist in that regard. Um, you know, I, I think now, again, I'm not there now, but it's my understanding now that at the DA's office, most of the agencies, as soon as there's a, a big, you know, a murder or a big serious crime, the DA's office is immediately called out and someone from the DA's office goes to the scene at that point to offer any assistance. And sometimes it can just be, hey, have you thought about this? You know, because when there's something as big as as this really turned out to be for Midlothian, you know, if they don't have a lot of experience doing the murders, there's some things that they may not be thinking about, or it's just, you know, you got all this pressure from the community to like solve this right now. I mean, there's a killer, you know, we don't want a killer on the loose, solve it right now, figure this out. And so there's a lot of pressure on a police department to try to solve something, you know, really quickly. And so when that happens, depending on the level of experience of the, particularly the lead investigator, uh, some things might not be thought of that, you know, a more experienced um, agent uh, or a police officer can assist with. That's great. What kind of criminal investigative resources does the DA's office currently have in Ellis County? And what changes do you think that you might make in that part of the office, if at all? So generally, the, the district attorney's office is not responsible for, uh, we essentially take in the cases that get brought to the district attorney's office and prosecute them. The investigators that work for the district attorney's office essentially are, their role is to assist the uh, prosecutors in getting ready for a trial for the most part. They're going to be out serving subpoenas. They're going to be out finding witnesses when the trial uh, gets ready to, to, ha to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're going to be mostly doing things like that. Now, occasionally, like if a case comes in, um, let's say I was reviewing a case uh, that another agency had brought in. And I'm like, well, you know, I wish they would have interviewed, you know, this person or that person. Then you, I could send my investigator to go out and try to get some additional information. But they're not going to be the investigators that necessarily go out like scene of crime and, um, you know, start gathering stuff or start, start taking statements or anything like that. That's generally not how they do things. The DA's office investigators kind of get everything sort of on the back end, you know, and sort of a, mm -hmm. we get the ability to sort of Monday morning quarterback, you know, what the police departments did and said, well, you know, how about this? What about this issue? You know, did you guys think about this? You know, what about this witness? You know, what about this piece of evidence? So that's usually what the investigators do because um, there's not that many at the district attorney's office. And so they're they're busy, you know, handling the cases that are getting prepped for trial. What I do hope to envision maybe down the road is to maybe get some sort of task force together uh, when it comes to big crimes like this, particularly for the really small agencies. You know, if you get, you know, if this were to happen like in, in Italy or, you know, Maypearl or Milford or any of those places like that, that have very small police force, um, they are going to need help when there's a big case or things can go wrong pretty quickly as, you know, I've, I've seen that firsthand on, on, on some of the cases that I've worked on where, you know, it's not their fault. It's just, again, lack of experience in this type of, of crime or just not having the resources because they're a small agency to be able to devote sending a team of investigators, of having a crime scene investigator out there, having somebody take 
um, you know, witness statements, having somebody collect any type of forensic evidence that's there, it, it requires a, a team. Uh, and so if we had a, a sort of a countywide task force, then we could get uh, sort of the best from every department in the county to try to work together on some cases. And that way we have, uh, you know, much more resources to pull from uh, to, to solve some of these bigger cases. And the DA's office would would be a part of that as well. I'm surprised there hasn't been a task force yet because it's been seven and a half years on Missy's case. Are there any thoughts on why that hasn't happened yet? You know, I don't I don't know that necessarily at this point a task force would be necessary. You know, it would be more beneficial, like at the time an offense is occurring ah. um, to, to have somebody go back sort of, you know, years later and, and try to recreate it by having team. I don't know that that would necessarily be uh, beneficial. Like I said, it would be good to have another set of eyes and ears potentially on it. Um, but I don't know that having a task force now to go back um, would be helpful. Okay. Um, you know, for, for all we know, the Midlothian, and I don't know the answer to this. I don't think I have any sort of inside information, but you know, for all we know, they, they do know who the person is. You know, they're just waiting for that one piece of evidence to, to make that final connection for them. Um, so that they do have enough, not only just to make an arrest, and they may have enough information to make an arrest. There's a very low level of evidence that really needs to happen to be able to make an arrest. But, you know, we don't want to just make an arrest. We want to be able to have enough evidence to convict somebody yeah. of this, you know, and prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And we only get one chance to do it. So, you know, I'd rather they take their time, you know, especially when we're this far out now. I'd really rather they take their time to make sure we've got everything in place to make sure that the evidence is solid and there isn't any other, you know, way to attack the case. Um I'd rather they do that and take their time and get a good case than just to try to, you know, throw something together uh, just to say they've made an arrest. Right, right. I agree with that. If, if, if you feel like as a district attorney's office that a police department, not necessarily MPD, I'm speaking more broadly now, but if you feel like a police department hasn't allocated the necessary resources to a big investigation, what options does the DA in Texas have to try to bridge that gap with its own investigative resources? So again, we can only assist, you know, um, it really is, mo most of the time it's the Texas Rangers that would get called out. These smaller police departments, um, smaller agencies would use the Texas Rangers as a resource because they do have, you know, statewide resources available to them. It's not just a Texas Ranger, you know, and it's just that guy, like he, he can get, together a team if necessary to be able to to assist but the way the policies are written for all of these agencies uh you know the texas rangers cannot step in and just say hey we're just going to take this over because you guys don't know what you're doing or something uh they have to be invited in by that agency uh to come in uh so there's not that much that a da you know we cannot dictate you know how a police department handles their cases or doesn't handle their cases um, that's not for us to, to decide because most of them are run by city government. So if there's an issue there, you would need to go through the cities, you know, if it was, you know, uh, a city agency or the county, you know, so to speak, if it ended up being like a sheriff's department or something like that, um, to do anything, but really the district attorney doesn't have a whole lot of say, if any, to tell a police agency what to do or how to do it. I think you sort of answered my next question. I was going to ask mm -hmm. if you would... Um, 
after a while, if you would be willing to approach the Texas State Police, Texas Rangers, and ask them to help with the Beavers case, because apparently they did offer to help early on. We don't know to what extent they have helped or if they're not helping at all. But so that's not something that your office would, if I'm understanding you correctly, that's not something that you would call on them to help. That would we be can something. always request, right? We can. So, so what I would do, and again, I, I don't know what's been going on at Midlothian Police Department because I'm not there. You know, I, I'm not privy to any of that information, right? Um, anymore. So, really, it, it would be a, a sit down with them to say, "Hey, where are we in this investigation? You know, are, are you guys close? You know, do you think you might be uh, need some additional resources? You know, because we can sort of, you know, coordinate that if we need to, or you know, um, get people involved uh, if that's what's necessary." Um, so that's how that would really be handled. Cause again, you know, I can't just tell, Hey, Texas Rangers, why don't you go see if they need help? It doesn't work that way. Midlothian really has to reach out to the Rangers and say, Hey, please help us. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as, uh, the way things have been handled so far, what changes uh, are you going to be making if you are elected as the Ellis County DA? For this particular case or like what, what are you talking Overall, about? Overall, as far as cases are handled or any way you can help out with those types of things, things are, you know, we have somebody in the office right now. If you were to take office, what particular things are you going to be able to bring to the table to help um, overall with crime in Ellis County? Right. So, uh, you know, I have my entire career has been dedicated to, to criminal law. You know, I've done 18 uh, and a half years as a prosecutor, 15 years here specifically in Ellis County, and then another four on criminal defense. So I sort of have a broad range of experience in the criminal law arena. So my goal, my priority really would be to move the, the cases a lot more efficiently through the system. Um, I do believe that justice delayed is justice denied, both for the, the uh, victims of a case and also for the defendant of a case. You know, they've got a right to have a speedy trial. They have a right to have a fair trial. Uh, and it benefits everybody when that uh, criminal justice system is moving smoothly and efficiently and effectively. You know, the longer a case goes on, uh, once there's an arrest, um, everybody who's done criminal law would agree with this, that the longer a case goes through, the better it gets for the defense because you have people who end up moving away. Your witnesses die, your witnesses get arrested, your witnesses, are you just can't find them. People's memory fades. Sometimes the evidence you know, gets lost. There, there's all kinds of things that can happen um, between an arrest and when a trial actually comes true to fruition. And that's why it's really important that those cases be done quickly, you know, because sometimes when we get down the road, even people, you know, even the case like this, right, where it was a really big case, it's still a big deal. But like, if you guys weren't still uh, invested in it and keep bringing it up, and let's just say you guys didn't happen, right? And, and this, this murder happens, you know, seven years ago, and somebody gets arrested, maybe three or four years from now, how much are people really going to care because it's so far removed from when it actually happens, right? There's not as much emotion, you know, 10 years later as there necessarily would be, you know, right around the time it happened. So all those factors play uh, a role in what the eventual eventual outcome of a case is and what the disposition is. And so I believe you've got to move those cases a lot more quickly. Uh, you've got to make sure that you've got the right people in the right positions. You know, everybody has different levels of experience. They have different 
prosecutors have different cases they like to work on uh, as opposed to others. And so I think if you put people in the right places and maximize the resources that you have, um, you can do that. And, and then it benefits everybody in the community uh, on both sides. You know, we get through things a lot quicker. Um, justice gets metered out a lot faster uh, and it benefits everybody. So that's sort of the number one priority I have is moving those cases through because I do know that th there is a backlog. You know, COVID did um, cost us a little bit in terms of backlog, but I think there's other issues there uh, that can be resolved. I know for one, I can actually step in and help in that regard. Uh, I'm not opposed and, and I will be doing um, some of the work myself, whether that means getting cases is ready to go to grand jury, whether that means, you know, actually taking a misdemeanor case, maybe I get to try a case here and there. I know I wouldn't be able to do them all the time, but at least helping and sort of setting the standard and the example for all the other people that work in the office to make sure that we're all on the same page, having the same mission, having the same philosophy of how we get to that end goal. Those are the things that I would like to change, changing the culture in the environment of the DA's office so that people are happy and excited to come to work because they feel like they're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Uh, so those are the things that I would like to immediately change in there. Those are all really important. And, and it sounds uh, like a great plan. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> for sure. I, I have a question. You know, a lot of people have brought this to our attention. And of course, Renee and I noticed it ourselves over the years. Um, your predecessors, um, your two predecessors in the DA's office have rarely mentioned this case. Uh -huh. And given that it's the most infamous case probably in the county's history, why do you think they've never made an appearance with the police to show a united front in solving the crime? I think, you know, we, we probably, I probably wouldn't be doing it, honestly, either, only because there's so many cases get, that get turned into the office every year. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of cases that get turned in, uh, and there's simply just not enough time um, to be able to, to do that. You know, we're letting the police department kind of do whatever it is that they need to do and bring the cases to us. It's not like the DA's office is lacking in, in cases to, to pick up. Um, and so we're kind of just letting the, the police department do their job. Like I said, it would be important and it does need to happen where, you know, the DA reaches out. And for all I know, that's happening behind the scenes. I, again, I don't know. I'm not saying it's not happening, um, but to be reaching out, you know, uh, and just be checking on the, the status like, hey, where are we now on this? Are we any closer than we were before? You know, again, do you need any help from us? And just just keep a perpetual reminder that, you know, everybody is still kind of thinking about this. But in terms of sort of, you know, doing whether it's a, a press, you know, release or anything like that. I don't know that that would be beneficial necessarily um, to getting the case solved, but I, I think that's probably why that's happened just because there's so many other cases that, you know, have come into the, to the office that, you know, everybody's just inundated. So I, I think that's probably the real reason. I, yeah, I hear you. Um, what role do you think that the media can play in helping solve crimes? And do you think of the media as a partner or as an adversary? Yeah, it depends on the case. It can be either or sometimes, you know. Um, I think in this case, right, especially, you know, it, it captured the attention of everybody when they released the video, 
right? Like that was mm-hmm. just some really powerful stuff where everybody was interested. It got everybody invested in what was going on. Um, it led to a lot of tips. And sometimes that can be good or bad, right? Because you get people that may have had legitimate tips uh, on what happened versus people who were like, well, that person was walking like my cousin's best friend's yeah. mother-in-law, you know, that lives in five states away or something yeah. like that. You know, you get those people. Um, so sometimes it can be, you know, beneficial. The times where media is not so much beneficial, in my opinion, is if they start, you know, leaking out some information um, that sort of um, not derails an investigation, but maybe hinders an investigation in some way. Because a lot of it, when the cops are, you know, interviewing certain people, they're looking for things like, well, do they know too much about what has happened, right? Like this is something only the killer would know kind of situation. Um, and so when when too much information is put in the public, well, now everybody knows about this, you know, or that. Um, it's not necessarily a gotcha moment uh, when they're interviewing somebody. So that's why sometimes it can be um, a hindrance when the media is, is all over something and giving information, or if they're not vetting the information properly, it's just you know, hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay, then that sort of um, shifts the focus sometimes. And so then the police have to deal with people talking about an issue that's not really an issue. But because the media brought it up, now a lot of people have interest in, in something and they have to spend time sort of diffusing that issue that it takes them away from the actual um, real leads or investigation. Um, and so in that respect, sometimes the media can be uh, harmful to a case. What role do you think politics has played in the failure to solve the Missy Beavers case so far? I don't know that necessarily politics, you know, has. And like I said, I don't have the inside knowledge, you know, to be able to particularly answer that question. I don't know, because like I said, I don't know what they have or what they don't have or or who they think did it. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that it's not playing any part in, you know, the, the lack of being able to solve the case. I'm hopeful and, and I want to believe that the police department is doing everything they can to, to solve it and figure it out, regardless of whoever the suspect is. Um, you know, like I said, depending, I wanna make sure that they've got a good, good, solid case when they get whoever it is that they get, uh, regardless of who it is, whether it's gonna be somebody, you know, important in the community, you know, or not. So I'm, I'm hoping that politics doesn't, you know, play a role and hasn't played a role in it. Um, and I don't really have any knowledge either way that it has or hasn't. Right. Would you rather have a weaker case and make an arrest or would you rather that person stays on the streets while a better case gets put together before the arrest? You know, either option is is not great. Uh, And that's because look, if it's, you know, certainly the police believe in my opinion that it's targeted, right? Because they're telling people, Hey, you don't citizens, you don't really have a real reason to be afraid. It's not like, you know, we've got somebody who's randomly picking people off, right? So right. so in some respects, that's supposed to calm people down. And I guess it does a little. But at the same time, you everybody knows there still is a murderer out on the loose, right? And nobody really knows what the true motivation was. Was this really a random act, which I don't think it was? Or was it a more targeted act towards Missy, you know, in particular? Even if that's true, 
it's still worrisome that that person is still out there because for all we know, or, you know, we're friends with that killer right now, right? Maybe we met this person in the last seven years and we're friends with that person. And what's it going to take for that person to, to snap on something else? I mean, they did this killing for a reason. What is that reason? And, you know, let's say if it's somebody that ends up being my friend and I do something, you know, to make them mad, just like Missy did. Well, then heck, they're going to kill me now too, right? So so that's yeah. a worry. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the real danger is once you make an arrest, you know, there's not really a statute of limitations at that point of like, you have to, you know, try this case within so many years or whatever of making that arrest. But it really does sort of start a timeline and you've got to start moving the case forward to a trial. And if you have a really weak case, um, that's not going to benefit anybody because like I said, you get one chance and it's not like we can, you know, get whatever we have now. Like, again, I'm, I'm assuming I'm making assumptions here, but I'm assuming there's probably probable cause, like really low probable cause maybe to arrest somebody. And if they were to do that now without real solid evidence, when you tried to do that case, if, if we lost and we got a not guilty on that, Let's say, you know, a year after that, somebody gets an actual confession or there's like new DNA techniques or something like that that could have helped. We can't retry that case just because there's new evidence that pops up. It's sort of too late at that point. Um, So I'd really rather that they take their time and get really solid evidence. Now, if I were to meet with them and it's something that we just don't think we're going to get, and I'm not even sure what what that would be, but, you know, if it's something like they're waiting on DNA, you know, that DNA changes, you know, not all the time. There's new techniques uh, that come into play uh, to try to figure things out, you know, because you can't, if you only have a certain amount of DNA, and again, I don't know if they have any, I'm just assuming there's probably something, Um you know, if you use up that entire whatever it is substance, it's not like you can go test it again. You, you've got really the one chance if they really only have a limited whatever it is, if it's blood or is it, you know, hair, whatever it is um, to test it. So I'd much rather they they wait. But at the same time, if it's something that we don't think really is is ever going to to come to fruition, then it might just be beneficial at that point to just say, let's go with what we have. And kind of hope for the best because this is our only chance, you know, but I don't again, I don't know what the state of the evidence is, but, you know, uh, it it really is better to wait until you've got, you know, solid evidence. What what role do you play um, in the DA in the I'm sorry, in the um, DNA evidence part? So, in other words, if they were able to needed to do some testing um, and it was a financial problem or finding someone to test the DNA, what role or if any, do you play in that or can you assist in that? Yeah, so sometimes, you know, the DA's office could have some funds to do some some testing uh, if necessary. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I'm very confident that Midlothian would send it somewhere. So if there was like some lab in, you know, whatever, some other state um, that did have, you know, certain ways to extract DNA that, you know, other places don't have or or something like that. If it's a money issue, I don't think that would be a prohibition to getting something done or getting that testing done. I'm fairly confident Midlothian would spend the money if, if they didn't, you know, we could potentially get some money to help them to get wherever we need to go to get that testing done. So I'm not worried about the financial oh, aspect awesome. of it. Yeah, that's uh, awesome I think that's something that can be done. Yeah. Okay. 
So what in your background do you think qualifies you more than the incumbent to be the district attorney? And have you worked either side of a murder case before? Yes. So um, I think, again, I have uh, a broad spectrum of uh, criminal law trial experience. I've tried everything from, you know, misdemeanor, possession of marijuana, all the way to to capital murders. Um, so I've kind of done everything in between. I've won cases, I've lost cases. Um, I've tried over 100 jury trials. So I, I know what it takes. I, I believe that, um, you know, the district attorney is the, the head law enforcement agent in any county. Um, and I think that person should have a criminal law background because the majority of what goes on in that office is is criminal. Uh, that office does handle some civil um, stuff. It, it's a little bit of county government, but the overwhelming majority of what goes on at the county and district attorney's office is criminal work. Um, and I think that person needs to be able to set the example uh, and to be able to um, sort of set the expectations of all the other prosecutors in the office. And I don't think that you can do that if you haven't done the job yourself, if you haven't been in the trenches and know what it's like to have a caseload of 400 cases at the same time and, and know how to deal with law enforcement and know how to deal with all these different agencies coming together to make a trial successful, then um, I really think that that person needs to have all that experience. And I've got that experience. Um, I also still have maintained great working relationships with uh, law enforcement from, you know, when I was at the DA's office, even till now, even though I'm on the other side now and have to beat up on them a, a little bit, um, we still are able to maintain great working relationships, which is vitally important to the success of any prosecutor's office. You have to maintain those positive relationships with all the other players in the criminal justice system. I mean, that includes law enforcement, that includes, you know, county clerks, district clerks, that includes the jail, the sheriff, it includes defense attorneys, it includes the the bondsmen, uh, bail bonds people. It really does include everybody uh, for everything to run efficiently and smoothly. Everybody's got different roles to play, uh, but it's important that all of those players work together to, again, provide efficient and effective justice. So yeah, I've, I've done some murder cases. Um, on the prosecution end, for sure, uh, I currently have a couple of murder cases right now on the defense end. Um, I have one potentially that's going to be going to trial uh, in, in November that I'm gearing up for. So, yeah, I've had experience doing, you know, all of those cases, um, and I hope to be able to, to bring that uh, with me to the DA's office. A lot of our listeners ask us this question, and we've asked it to each other and to ourselves, but um, we get this all the time. What would you say to a member of the Ellis County community who doesn't understand why the police stopped giving public updates on the Missy Beavers case? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know. Every agency is kind of uh, different in that, you know, uh, about whether they want to give you know, public statements or not, you know, if there's nothing new, you know, that could be a reason why they're not. If, if nothing else has happened, um, then they're not likely to, to necessarily give any sort of update because there's not an update to give. Um, you know, if it's just something, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on this as to as to why they've stopped. You know, I, I don't believe that they've stopped investigating or anything like that. Um, 
you know, the public does does have a right to know to some extent what's going on. You don't want to give them everything, obviously. And there's some things they have to keep to themselves, which is fine. Um, and maybe they just feel like they're just reiterating already what's out there. Right. Um, and the other thing, too, I don't I don't know if they've had any conversations with Missy's family, you know, about kind of what they want. Do they want this to keep, you know, because they get a reminder every year in April, right? Like, you know, th- th- that day is just going to ring in their minds forever. I mean, I know this myself. My own father was murdered uh, many years ago. And so that day is always a, a terrible day when that day comes up, you know, and so I'm sure it's the same for them. And so do they really want a public reminder of the pain of that day. It's sort of like them reliving. It's like Groundhog's Day for them, right? It's like reliving that day all over again. Is that something that they truly want? So I I would be, you know, if it was me again, I would be asking the family, I'm like, hey, is this something you want us to keep publicizing, to keep putting, you know, because the news outlets always do something around the anniversary. I know a lot of the local ones here, right, did some anyways um, in, in April saying, hey, it's been, you know, three years, it's been five years, it's been seven years. And they keep doing that. You know, I just don't know how Missy's family, you know, feels about that because I, I haven't spoken to them, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. they would be sort of the first people I would, would ask, you know, about that to say, hey, is this something you want to keep, you know, being reminded of and, and keep us, you know, keep being reminded of it in a public way like that. Right. Is there anything in the way that MPD has approached this case that doesn't make sense to you? Um, no, because like I said, I really haven't had, I really wasn't in it. I went that one day uh, to Midlothian. I just remember there being just a lot of different agencies, you know, kind of doing a whole bunch of different things at the time. It seemed pretty chaotic, you know, uh, it seemed chaotic to me. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think everybody was really trying at that point, you know, to solve things because you really need to get as much evidence and as much information like closer to the time that it happened. Because again, you know, when we start getting into days and months and years, you know, we start losing um, people's memories fade, you know, things like that. So I think they were just really trying and scrambling to to really try um, to figure this out because it was a big deal for them. You know, Midlothian is generally a safe place mm-hmm. and for there to be a murder uh, and not just a murder, right? It wasn't just any kind of murder. I, I think the reason that this case is really interesting or scary or creepy or however you want to to phrase it is because you know a lot of the murders that that we see happen um is sort of a heat of the moment situation like people get into a fight and then you know somebody gets shot stabbed or whatever this was like to me again seemed like really a premeditated cold calculated killing you know and so that's a that's a big difference that 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 part's pretty scary to me because i can see not that i can see murdering somebody but you know you can see how in the heat of a moment or something or even if it's a self-defense situation you could see an instance where you might have to kill somebody right or or need to but yeah but when it's like this you know they went through great lengths to make sure or to try to be sure that no one could see them right they were covered you know head to toe um, they made sure, um, to, to really cover their tracks, to make sure like no DNA was left, if any, because they were covered so much, you know, this was something that was greatly planned, you know, cause I always go back to, well, did they, were they, how, how long was the planning for this event? Right. Was it always going to be this day? Because on this, on that day it was raining, right? So it was raining, you know, so it was something unusual in that, she wasn't going to be doing that camp gladiator in the parking lot. She was moving it, you know, to the inside of that church. 
So I'm wondering if it had not been moved to the inside of the church, would it still have happened that day? Because she would have been outside. Presumably she would have been outside. So were they going to just go and do like a drive by or, you know, how how is it going to happen that day? Because she kind of would have seen them coming. Yeah. And been able you know, to run. in yeah. that and right. been able to run away or something. But no, I mean, they knew go in the church, you know, because if it wasn't going to be moved in the church, there would no be no reason for them to sort of hang out there. You know, I guess as long as they did before, you know, because they weren't going to necessarily know that she would go in the church at any point if it was just going to be in the parking lot. So, you know, there's all these things that but, you know, are very interesting and uh, about this case and, and scary really to me about the case and, and how it it happened. And the other thing to me too, that's very striking is, you know, even on a, on any kind of murder like that, even like like if it's something that's somewhat premeditated, um, people panic, you know, there's always like a panic moment because you are taking somebody's life. That's pretty big deal. Uh, but this person seemed really calm, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's even scary to me too, that that person really was just calm and, and not, you know, frantic about, you know, whatever happened and whatever they were doing. So uh, it, that's more chilling to me, bone chilling to me. Yeah, oh, it really definitely. Is. It is fair. The video is just, I mean, I don't know how many times I've watched it, but every time it just, you know, gives you chills watching it. They're yeah, just Because you're wondering around. like, what does that person go, what's going on in their head at that moment? Right. And right? If, there's any, if there's anyone listening to the show who hasn't watched the video, it's available on Midlothian Police Department's YouTube channel. You can see all of the video that was released to the public and it is really creepy to say the least. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely is. One of the things that police said, um, have said repeatedly is that they believe that um, somebody has information that is going to be able to lead to uh, a, an arrest and conviction in this case, that they're just basically waiting for that right piece of information to come along or for mm-hmm. somebody to, to give that information. Um how could, can you explain how important that is for someone who may have information to come forward? Um, you know, of course, there's a, such a different variety of ways to come forward and remain anonymous. Uh, but, I mean, you deal with this kind of stuff all the time. How important is this for someone to come forward that can really help this case start moving along? Yeah, it, it's very important, right? Because, like I said, I, I really think they probably know who did it, right? Everybody has this idea of, like, who done it. Um, and they're just missing that one that's going to make that last connection there that really is going to solve this or make this case really solid to be able to get a conviction. Um, And so anytime anybody can bridge that gap for the police, that's really important. Now, I don't know that that person might necessarily not be able to remain anonymous. It kind of depends on what the information is, right? Because it's got to be, you know, if that person has got some piece of evidence that's got to be turned over to the defense, right? So the defense is going to be asking like, who is that person? Where is that person? So, um, you know, if it's leading police to a location of something, I don't know, that probably would be able to remain anonymous as long as they found it and were able to tie it to whoever the killer is. But if it's like a statement that, you know, the killer told me this, that person really can't remain anonymous because, again, that's just going to be hearsay unless that person is available for trial to say what happened. Um, and that's kind of how another uh, murder was solved, too, in the county. So there was that uh, pawn shop murder that happened at that pawn shop that's down. I, I don't know if it's a Red Oak address or a Waxahachie. Ad- no, I think it's a Waxahachie address, but going towards Red Oak over by the 
342. Is it the Oaks? It's right at right when you exit off of 35 and to go yes. down 342. Yes, yeah. right there. Yeah, um, so that one took a while to be solved too, as many years before that one got solved. And the, the thing that finally broke that one wide open is the killer actually confessed to some guy that he was working with. And luckily that guy called the police, right? And had that guy not come forward and said, hey, this happened. This guy said he did it. And then the police were able to get that guy's DNA and they matched it to the DNA at the pawn shop. And that's how they were able to solve that crime. And that took years later. And so I really do think that's what it's going to take. It's very unusual for people to completely not tell anybody, right? That's a really hard thing to, to take with you uh, and really not tell anybody about. So especially if the, if there happens to be more than one person in on it, if it was like a, some sort of a, a setup or, you know, uh, like murder for hire or some, something like that, then there's more people that know something. So it's very unlikely that all those people are going to take that to their grave. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody's going to slip up and say something, but it's going to require whoever it is they tell that to, to come to the police. Right, right. Right. And just, and just give that information, you know, whether you think somebody's joking or not like, haha, I'm the one that did it or something like that. Like, hey, let the police know so that they can at least vet that information. Right. Uh, and maybe that can lead, you know, again, that can be the one thing that closes the gap um, and makes that last connection that they're needing. Right. Do you have any thoughts on forensic experts that might be helpful in shedding light on the evidence that is available? For example, there are some Asian companies that are doing cutting age gate analysis. It's supposedly every bit as good as fingerprints in identifying unknown persons. So here's the thing with forensic science. So there's been, you know, some cases that have been overturned in years past because of what they call junk science, where, you know, we all thought this was great science, you know, 30 years ago. But when we get forward now, they realize ah, it's really not as good as we thought it was. You know, there were things related to different arsons where that um, evidence, you know, we thought was good science. Let later turned out to not be. There's like bite marks that used to be used heavily. Now it's not so much. So we have to be really careful when we talk about sort of forensic science um, and what it can do. Uh, to get anything through uh, the court system, it has to go through uh, different analysis. It's got to be you know properly vetted. You have to go through all these hearings to make sure that's reliable science and uh, the techniques are widely accepted in the scientific community for that, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, um, it is uh, before it can even be accepted. And so I would be a little bit leery of sort of cutting edge um, things like that, that would sort of seal the deal, because then you always have to remember that any case that's going to get tried all the way through a jury trial it's going to get appealed. Um, and so you have to make sure that there's plenty of evidence outside of just the forensic science. Forensic science can be great. DNA is great, but even DNA had its limitations. Even some of the DNA um, cases we were having to go back and look because they sort of changed um, how people look at DNA and what different markers they can look at at DNA. So things change all the time in science. It's not just we have this science and it's good forever because there's always changes um, and new techniques, um, new ways to look at different data points and different areas of science, we have to be very careful about what we use uh, for a trial and make sure that it goes through um, the proper channels, the proper vetting um, to make sure that it's gonna be uh, accepted in the court system and to be able to be used. So I'd be very leery about using 
stuff, um, especially if that's what we're going to hang our hat on. You know, if it's right. just an additional thing, then that's that's great. But and we'll use all the evidence that we can get. But if it's going to be the thing that like this is it and this seals the deal, that's probably going to be problematic. What do you think about here? We are seven and a half years into this case, the Missy Beavers case, that is. And there's still people that are close to the victim and even several people who could be persons of interest who've never been interviewed by the police. Uh, you know, I always prefer and, and I tell the police whether it's even just on a regular assault case. Right. Talk to everybody. Right. Because as a defense attorney, right, I'm a defense attorney right now. You know, I'm going to be looking for the what haven't you done, right, to, to make it look like um, you didn't do a full and fair investigation, right? We use that all the time on the defense side. Did you do a full and fair investigation? And when the police say yes, we're like, okay, but then did you talk to this person? And did you know this? And then, you know, and it just starts to look bad uh, when you get when you get there. So I, I know sometimes the police got mad at me for, for asking them to do uh, some additional things, but I just wanted to close that um, that area to make sure that a defense couldn't say, well, what about this? What about that? Uh, you know, I'd rather they say, look, we talked to everybody. We did everything. And so, yeah, that okay. person's not a person of interest because we talked to them and this, you know, we were able to rule them out. Or we talked to this person and we were able to rule them out because of this. You know, I, I'd rather that be the case and we have too much than for us to have to answer a hundred times why we didn't talk to this person or why we didn't talk to that person. Yeah, I would I would think they wouldn't get mad at that. That sounds that sounds like the good thing to do. Um do you have anything else you wanted to uh, tell our listeners about your uh, running for Ellis County DA? No, I'm just really excited about it. Um, I'm very passionate about what I do on both ends. You know, I've been very passionate about being a prosecutor uh, and doing those cases. And then I'm also passionate about being a defense attorney as well, uh, because I think people deserve a fair trial. I believe in the Constitution. I believe the Constitution applies regardless of what you've been accused of doing. Um, and so I just want to make sure that our system is fair and efficient. I want to make sure that Ellis County stays a safe place for all of us to live uh, and to work. And for that to happen, we must have, you know, just efficient and effective uh, criminal justice system. And that starts with the DA's office. The DA really sets the tone for everybody else in the county right. um, and, and makes the people feel, you know, safe or, or unsafe, depending on, on what's going on. And so I think there's some changes that can be made. Um, I think I'm the person that can do that uh, to help move us forward uh, that's awesome. in the county and everything. So, so that's what I intend to do. Yeah, you've worked on both sides. That's amazing in criminal work. Um, I did think of one more question that we get all the time. I just wanted to kind of see your take on it. A lot of people ask us, why did Midlothian police, apparently they have something like 28 minutes of video, unclear if that's true or not, but that was what the media told us early on. Um, why do you think they've only released a couple of minutes of the perpetrator on video? Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if they do have 28 minutes. I don't remember, you know, either way, if they said the word was or wasn't. Uh, I just remember seeing the video that everybody else saw on the TV and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if they don't have it again, it's because I think they're holding back things so that when they do find whoever did this, um, again, they're going to get information that only that person would know about um, because they were there. Uh, so that could be the, the reason that they're not, you know, putting the rest of it out if there is 
you know, 28 minutes or however many minutes of it. Um, they're not going to put everything out there to save the integrity, you know, of the investigation, which is why improbable cause affidavits, they don't put every detail um, that they know about. They just put enough in there to make sure that there is probable cause to be able to get a search warrant for whatever it is they, they want to search or, or get. Um, and so the rest are going to keep to themselves. The other issue that you have to remember as well is when the media or the public gets sort of everything you have to worry or at least the part that i worry about is when that person is actually caught tried and we go to trial are we going to be able to get a fair jury in this county um you know are we going to have enough people that say not that they don't know about it because i think you know everybody in this county at least has heard of it you know to some extent um that's not the standard but are there people going to say look i know everything about this case already you know well those people can't sit on the jury and so i would be worried about um having too much information out there and potentially tainting um, any kind of jury pool that we would need to get to be able to try this case. Do you think this case will get tried outside of Ells County? I don't think so. Uh, it really is hard to get a case transferred to get a change of venue on a case. Um, and it would just depend. I mean, there would have to be a showing, you know, defense would really have to make a showing that they could not get a fair and impartial juror anywhere you know and this happened in midlothian and, and most people in the county do know something about it but i think there's plenty of people that have moved here in this county in the last seven eight years that don't know anything about it at all right yes. um and so you, you have to consider there's probably a big jury pool um to pick from so i doubt it would rise to the le level of having a change in venue mm -hmm. i think we might have to go through more jurors than we normally would um you know on any kind of generally a fel felony case, we're probably going to have, you know, if anybody's been a jury selection here lately, maybe 100 to maybe 120 at the outset, people that are in the jury panel there, you know, this case might have to have extra called in just for that. Because if you get somebody, especially if you get somebody from Midlothian, you know, they might not be able to sit on it. Maybe they're too emotional about it because they, they knew her or they knew somebody that knew her or something related to the case. So maybe, you know, a lot of people from Lothian wouldn't be able to even be able to sit on the jury if they couldn't be fair and impartial. Um, so we might just have to have a bigger jury pool. Right. That makes sense. I just have one more question myself. Um, as a practical matter, how do you salvage a seven-year-old murder case that may have had some critical evidence lost early on or overlooked early on? Yeah, that's hard, you know, because I, like I said, I've, I've lost some cases on, on murders where, you know, we some evidence was lost. <laughs> you know, we, we had one Maypearl where um, some crime scene photos were lost and that wasn't really an old case. But, you know, everything really makes a difference. Uh, depends on what the evidence is. Right. And how critical it is to figuring out who done it or even why they done it, <laughs> why they did it. Right. Um, you know, we don't. You don't have to prove motive. That's not one of the elements of the crime for murder. But good gosh, you better have one because jurors just want to know, like, why? That's the main question, right? Like, why would somebody do this? So you've got to have, you know, the, the motive behind the murder as well, regardless of whether it's actually an element of the offense or not. But, you know, it depends on how strong your other pieces of evidence are. So it's hard to answer that question without knowing, you know, what, if any, has thing has been lost or mm -hmm. what, if anything, they do have. Um, right. Like I said, if you can get DNA, DNA is pretty solid. Um, if you can show that whoever's DNA was 
had never been in that church before, right? Because with with DNA is great. It just kind of tells you somebody was there. It doesn't necessarily tell you somebody did something. So it depends on if they find whatever DNA they have. Is it something that was found in the church, just in the building? Or was it something that was found on Missy herself? Then that makes it, you know, easier to tie saying, okay, well, you know, this person's DNA shouldn't have been on her, you know, or something like that. But if it's something that says, oh, we, we found this hair in, in one of the rooms, uh, that's not as strong, you know. So it just kind of depends. I mean, I'm sorry, that's a lawyer answer, but it really does no, depend. No, that makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. Well, hey, we're super excited, Lindy, for you. And thank you so much for spending some time with us here on True Crime Broads. And yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're looking forward to the election. We wish you all the best. I appreciate and it. And we hope you'll come back sometime. Yeah, for sure. All right. Okay, well. Thank you for being here. Have a great weekend. Thanks Good. for joining us. All right. You too, thanks. Yeah.